You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Jackie Carson. Jackie is the head coach of the Furman University women's basketball team. She also played there as a student athlete, and in 1999 she was honoured as Furman's Female Athlete of the Year, and in 2009 she became the third player in the program's history to have their jersey retired. She started her coaching career in 2003, progressing through assistant coaching positions at Bucknell and Madison, which included postseason appearances at the 2007 and 2010 NCAA tournaments. In 2010, she returned to Furman as the ninth head coach in the college's history. In her 11 seasons leading the team, they have earned four postseason berths and two women's national invitational tournament appearances. In 2014, she was awarded Conference Coach of the Year. Jackie is a coach with an infectious energy that inspires you to have the confidence to, in her words, walk into the room or the gym knowing you are going to win. Building this confidence in her players is a key part of what she strives to achieve as a coach. After the interview, the key parts I shared with my own family around the dinner table were how she believes that as a woman, you have to be better than the male that's going for the same job and importantly show why you're better. And explaining this is not something you should shy away from. In fact, she says you should demand what you want in the future. How some of the things you say in your head to yourself you would never say out loud to anyone else. And that the best way to deal with negative self-talk is to talk to someone else about how you're thinking 
through that, talk yourself into the tasks that are causing you to self-doubt. And wanting to leave a legacy where people learn that you can do things the right way. You can be a mum that works, a black female that is successful and beats the odds. You can do whatever it is that people say you can't do. As a father of two daughters, I found this interview educational and inspiring, and I hope you enjoyed as much as Jim and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Jackie Carson, good evening, or good afternoon rather for you, and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you, Paul, for having me. I'm excited. Well, we are very excited to talk to you, one, because we love basketball, but also because you are a basketball coach in America, and we are very excited to hear about your views on leadership. Well, I'm excited about also following up and on your other podcast and just hearing about different leadership styles. It's any coach or any leader is excited about hearing all the varying types of leadership throughout the world. And so I'm happy to share with whatever little nuggets I have and also learn from you guys. So thank you so much. Well, let's start with some of those leadership nuggets then, because when I was preparing for today, I can see that you've actually had some firsthand experience of some pretty good coaches. There's Kenny Brooks, Sherry Carter, and Jeff Williams. And there was many others, but they were just the tip of the iceberg that I could find. So could I ask, start by just asking you, what is it you think that the great coaches do differently? Oh, gosh. I think what it is, and I've even learned this from the beginning of my head coaching career to now 11 years as a head coach, and the great coaches have a, a set of standards that never waver. They recruit, they live their life by those standards, they expect their players to have those same standards, and when they sway from those standards and it's not a part of their culture, then they make a change. So like early on in my coaching career, I was so worried about having such a quick fix to winning. Winning is everything. Winning is not a standard. Winning is a byproduct from your standards and your values. But in my mind, winning was the standard. So I'm going to go recruit a kid that I think is going to make me win. But those same kids ruined our culture. It's like having a root of a tree. I had no root. I was just trying to bear fruit. So the greatest leaders that I've they they work the process of this having core values and having a set of standards that everything in their program is based, every member, whether it's assistant coach, a trainer, the secretary, the manager, the custodian, all of those people are under that same standard and set of core values. And it just permeates through the whole organization or the whole program. And those are the greatest programs that you have because everybody's living by those standards. And when you don't cut the standard or you don't cut those core values, then you just constantly breathe all types of fruit. I was going to ask you later on, but I'm going to jump straight into it. What are your standards, Jackie? It's crazy. So I think, Paul, you see like on social media, I say it all the time. I say be distinct. So a little of that came from my own personal. I have three older brothers. So I'm the baby. I was protected by my brothers. My dad is actually a retired colonel in the military and he's still stationed at the Pentagon. And so my family's outside DC. And my mom just always used to tell me, just don't plan on being like anyone else. So there used to be that commercial like, I want to be like Mike, you know, when Michael Jordan is like, be like Mike, be like Mike. My mom and I was like, you don't want to be like Mike, you want to be better than Mike. It's always like, my mom always kind of taught me and my dad the same way. My, my dad has like five master's degrees and he didn't want to be like anyone else. He always wanted to be better. My mom was like, you don't want to be like anyone else, be better. So when I was trying to think of what my program stood for and what I stood for, it was like, I don't want to be like anybody else. I don't want to be like this program in recruiting. We constantly have to sell why we're different. 
And so kind of be distinct is what everything stands for. And it's exactly what I live by. So, but the word distinct is an acronym. And then we have discipline, we have integrity, selflessness, trust. It can be trust or together. I switch those up um, depending on what I'm talking about with our girls. Intensity, no excuses, commitment, and trust. Our transparency, sorry, I think there's my three T's. So that's kind of what everything in our organization, everything that I'm made up of, I'm a completely transparent person. I, I want you to be able to trust me. I, I feel like I, I trust is such a, if you ask any of our players, I was like, what is Coach Carson's biggest core value? They're going to say trust. Just because I think trust, like a relationship, regardless if it's a coach player, husband, wife, mother, daughter, everything is dependent on trust. And if you don't have that trust with your core or your circle, then you can't build anything. It's, it's the complete foundation of everything you need to do. So, so those are kind of my pillars and, and my core values. And then I just kind of distill it out to my team. And that's what we recruit off of and everything that it's in my family. Everybody can repeat it. It's just kind of what I live off of. Now that you've told me about being distinct, I'm not sure whether I should ask what elements of your father and his great career in the military have found their way into your coaching philosophy? Because maybe there's none. Maybe you've just been totally independent. But I wanted to maybe without, in all seriousness, I did read about him and he's had a, it sounds like he's had a wonderful career and he's very educated and he's he's risen to a very high level. Are there elements of his teachings to you when you were younger that have found themselves into your philosophy? Oh, absolutely. My mom teases me because she says I'm just like my dad and so many. I'm very analytical. And I'm very, from the standpoint, I'm a planner. Like I want to, my mom and my husband, ironically, are very similar. And then just me and my dad, who are very similar on the other end. And so my mom makes a joke all the time. She's like, if we're hanging a picture, my husband and my mom, they go up there and they just hammer and they'd be like, oh, it's not centered. And then they're just going to hammer another hole. And they're just going to keep hammering holes until they finally get centered. Where me and my dad, we're going to go measure the wall. We're going to measure it exactly as middle. We're going to calculate the top to the bottom, the left to the right. And it's going to be perfectly centered before we ever hammer a hole in the wall. My mom's like, that drives me crazy. Just put it up there. And me and my dad are very like calculated and it's got to aesthetically look perfect and just attention to details. Absolutely crazy. So a lot of that is triggered down because my team and my staff know I'm crazy detail oriented. And that I lead, I want everybody to have that same eye. So like the smallest thing, like there's an extra space on the scouting report. There's an extra something on a a recruiting mail out that that's not right. And people are like, does that really matter? I was like, it could matter to one kid in our recruiting database. And as long as it matters to that one kid, then it really matters. So that's what it's always, it's the attention to detail. It's not letting you go again below your standards. My dad used to always say, he said it every day. He's like, have you done your homework? And I was like, I don't have any homework. He said, do you know everything? I said, no. He's like, well, then you always have homework. And I was like, so then I walk upstairs and I just start reading something because my dad wasn't going to let me not have homework. He's taught me so much about leadership. We have different styles, which is crazy. My dad is really quiet and very, uh, he's not stoic, but he's a strong leader. He's that leader that when you speak, he doesn't say a lot of words. So you listen when he does speak. I'm a, a, probably a mix between my mom and my dad. My mom is on the other end. She's going to speak a lot. And I, I speak when I have something to say kind of thing. Not a big yeller. My coach was a huge yeller and, and, and I don't yell much. My girls, my team says they get scary when I'm quiet. That's probably where I pick up some things from my dad. But my dad's been a huge leader, influential leader in my life. He was 
from South Carolina and basically came from nothing. And, and like I said, worked his way up in the military to become standing officer in our military. So super proud of both my parents and my dad. So Jackie, one of your old coaches, Jeff Williams, described you as a relentless competitor. And I guess having three older brothers will will bring that out in you. And, and you had a wonderful career as a player yourself, but I'd like to skip over that if I could and focus on your coaching career because you started as a coach with the Fairfax Stars, I understand. And in mm-hmm. that very first year, you win the national championship. Yeah, That's a great way to start your coaching career. Did you expect it to be that yeah. successful when you started? Well, it's crazy, Paul, because I had no idea. I had no desire. I, I did not want to coach. I was pre-med. I thought I was going to be a doctor. When I graduated from college, I had the opportunity to play overseas. And so I played in Belgium and Israel. And I came back and I was supposed to go to Russia. Nothing about Russia sounded like what I wanted to do. I'm not a big person of cold. Diversity scared me. It was about a year after 9-11, and I was like, I'm good. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to start my career of going into the medical field. <laughs> so no offense to Russia, I just, it, I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to move on. So I started going back and working in the fitness industry and working in the medical industry to get hours to go to physician's assistant school. And during that time is when I, one of my clients that I trained was a high school young lady who was being highly recruited and she played for Fairfax Stars. She's like, come help coach our team. I was like, okay, I love the game. I love being around basketball. And and that's how I got into coaching. And so it's wild because that team was so loaded. Like they were all high major, big time university, young ladies that ended up, some of them won a national championship in college. And my assistant coach, Tim Taylor, that was at Furman, saw me. He's like, you need to coach. And I was like, no, I'm good coach. I'm like, I'm going to do the medical thing. He's like, you need to coach and there's an opportunity at Bucknell and you need to look into it. And I was like, okay. So I interviewed and here I am 18 years later I'm coaching. What did your parents say when you told them I'm not going to be pre-med? She is not over it. I keep telling her I'm not going to med school. Like I'm 42 years old. <laughs> We're going to have to hang up the dream. You've actually said that coaching is way harder than playing. Way harder. Why? I felt like I was in control when I played. <laughs> like I could go impact the game directly where I'm just praying I can impact the game as a coach because you just have to hope they listen. You have to hope that they're going to follow what you taught them. You have to hope that they understand what you taught them. You have to, you know what I mean? Like I could go in there as a player and I felt confident that I was going to make that play and I, I was going to have my hands on the ball and I can get the ball to my teammates where I don't have the same confidence as a coach. You know, I'm like, I pray, listen, we're going to get the ball there. We're going to do this. And I'm telling them, but it's really if, if the players buy in and they're able to execute it. So it's way harder to influence lives, design up the play when you can't really touch the ball. <laughs> so you talked there about confidence a little bit and you, I don't know you at all. We've just met tonight, but you don't strike me as someone who's, who's low in confidence, but like all of us, our confidence falls away at some times, particularly when you're an athlete. And I wanted to ask you, do you have any tips or tricks or routines you go through to help build confidence in these young athletes you have that are away from home, potentially are struggling with expectations, putting too much pressure on themselves? Have you found a way to sort of work with them to build that confidence back up? Yeah, well... We like to comment, it's kind of when we talk about leadership and defining roles. 
I'm very honest with our young ladies. I was like, here is your role. This is why you are a part of Furman Women's Basketball, because you're a young lady of integrity. You do the right things. You carry yourself well. You're going to be a great representative of our university. And you, you won't do anything that's going to embarrass yourself, your family, this university, or this program. So already you are someone that is well-respected and you have to just exuberate that confidence all the time, which Paul, honestly, I didn't do. I had to learn. That was the, my mom's biggest influence was, you know, I grew, so I'm a little shy of six feet tall. I grew really fast from eighth grade to ninth grade. I would deliberately try to put my shoulders down and not hold them back because it made me taller generally boys haven't sprouted up. So I didn't want to be taller than a boy. Mm-hmm. I was a very late bloomer. So I had the braces, I had glasses. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a mess in high school. And so my mom was like, put your shoulders back, like stand up tall, own who you are, be better than who you are. You got to always want it more. You got to be better. It just developed more and more. So if you ever, if you ever see me coaching Paul, I'm usually wearing some type of like four or five inch stilettos. Like I'm, I've seen, I've watched. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I always think you should dress like, you know, professional and, and female. And it's just me. That was my mom. When I first went into coaching and she was disappointed because, again, I wasn't going to med school. She said, well, just don't dress like a coach. I said, mom, what does that mean? <laughs> She's like, just be you and still be you. So I've always kind of taken that personal. And it really is crazy. Just the simple act of being wearing dresses and heels and skirts. That gives our team so much more confidence just by seeing somebody else do it. And so I'm always talking to them about like, you got to own what you're great at. You got to own your role. You got to own walking into a room and knowing that you are lighting up that room. You got to own walking into the court and knowing that you are the best player on the court. And if you don't feel that way, we we can't make excuses why we got to find a way to build it up so that you eventually walk into that room and you're the most dominating person in that room. We're going to prepare for every game for every match, for every practice, like you were the best player in there. So there's never an expectation where it's okay to be average. As I said, I'm not an average person. I don't deem to be average. I don't want to be surrounded by average people. You are some of the people you hang around. I'm, I'm not trying to hang around average. And so that's what we just constantly put your shoulders back, stand tall, walk into the gym. You're not going to win every single battle, but we're going to walk in confident. We're going to prepare well enough to be confident. And that's on and off the court. I, I'm really a strong believer for, especially for our female athletes, that you just got to have a confidence about yourself because our journey is already harder as females, especially a female coach, especially our women of color, female coaches, like we're at the bottom of the rung. So we have to, the same thing I tell my 70 and my nine-year-old daughter, we have to be better. As a female, you have to be better because eventually the ball is going to stop bouncing. We got to go get a CEO job. We got to go get a manager job. We got to go do something. You have to be better. You have to be better than the male that's going for the same job. You have to show why you're better. And you got to have the confidence to show why you're better. I read a study. I think it came actually from the UK. And they just talked about how a man will go into an, a job interview and say, you got to hire me for this. I'm the right person for this job. And they don't sell it. They ask for the job. I want the job. Where a woman is going to go in and question. And I bring this to the table. I bring, But they never demand the job. So we work on a lot of just demanding what you want out of your future. Go demand the job, go demand the win and prepare for when that opportunity comes. So that is just probably more of my being than actually coaching a basketball game. Jackie, I want to ask you about being a woman of color and coaching in America, but could I take a 
just a sidestep for a minute. When we opened, you talked about the roots being strong and, you know, to, to build this coaching tree, which represents your philosophy. And you also talked about potentially having the wrong people in that culture. And what I'd like mm-hmm. to ask you is if you've got someone who's in your program and they're not buying into what you just described then, they're not playing their role, they're not willing to stand up and, and present themselves in the correct way, how do you deal with that? I think the perfect example, and probably a lot of people have read, is The Energy Bus by John Gordon. And he talks about there's certain times you got to let people off the bus. So if they're not moving the bus along in the right direction, if they're not giving the positive energy, if they're taking away energy vampires, he says, then some people, you're going to, hey, this is what we need from you for you to stay on the bus. And then some people make a transformational change where they change and become that person you need to move the bus forward. But there's also going to be people that have to get off the bus. So that's what was really hard for me. When you're coming from an assistant coach to a head coach, you really think you can change everybody. This kid doesn't play hard, but I can change her. I can influence her. You can't. So you just don't recruit a kid and play hard because you're not going to be able to change that once they get here. And it already goes against what you describe in your culture. You just have to recruit the kid that already plays hard. So you don't have to coach that part of it. If there's a young lady in our program and I, I feel like I've genuinely done all I can do and there's no buy-in, you have to remove that person from your culture. Otherwise, they're going to start changing the other ones who are doing it correctly. And now your root is starting to get poisoned. And it's going to eventually you're going to early on, you're going to have some fruit. So you, you can't be confused about the early fruit, the early success, and then poison your long-term success. So there's many I don't apologize for it. I'm very open. There's many people who left our program because culturally they were damaging our root. And I I can't do that to the young ladies who are doing it correctly in our program. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow, fascinating. So you transitioned from Fairfax, did some assistant coaching, and then in 2007, you were fortunate enough to be chosen among a very small group of coaches to participate in the Black Coaches Association Achieving Coaching Excellence Program. And I just wondered, how did that experience change you and prepare you for the head coaching positions you had ahead of you? Yeah, it was a great experience. The ACE program was, it was very transformational, like you said, from the standpoint that as an assistant, I always, once I really bought into my roles, like I'm an assistant, I never, I knew one day I'd want to be a head coach, but I never really, my focus was being a really good assistant coach. My focus was making Kenny Brooks and James Madison look really, really good. It was never about me. Let me do stuff so I can be a head coach. 
my first real taste of it was going to the ACE program, going to Indianapolis and going through all the exercises that what a head coach does. And I was like, wow, this is a lot. They put us in an interview like chamber and they gave us this tough scenario. What happens? Your star player was just arrested. Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, to many, you look at a head coach and you think they're doing their X's and O's 90% of the time. Well, that's about 10% of what you do. (laughs) Management and impacting lives and decision-making and problem-solving, all of that stuff is 90% of being a head coach. And that was the first time I really got a glimpse of the hiring process, dealing with your AD, dealing with your fans, fundraising, all the stuff that goes into college athletics. And I was like, wow, that is a lot. And so it made me very curious. And it also made me go back to Kenny and be like, I really want to go to a couple more fundraising meetings. I really want to go hey, if you can't go to your head coach's meeting, I'll sit in for you because I want to be able to sit and hear about what's going in and I'll deal with alumni. So I put 200 more things on my plate, but thank God if I hadn't done that, I would walk into this seat and have zero experience of what it looked like. And that's where I'm super appreciative of the ACE program because it really opened my eyes to some things that I had no idea was a part of being a head coach. Well, the experience works because in 2010, you come back to your alma mater and things start to look up. Before you arrived, the team had suffered through five consecutive losing seasons, yet you've been there for 11 years and that's only happened once. So I wanted to ask you, what were the first things you did when you came back to Firm to try to change that culture and, and move the program forward? Yeah, I think because obviously when you come into a program, you basically are inheriting the entire team. In April, there's no time to really recruit. I couldn't go get a roster. So your first season is basically, it sounds harsh, but your first season are the same players that got the previous coach fired. So you got to think, you got to think about it. And that standpoint is what one of the football, American football coaches said to me, he's like, Hey, you're about to walk in and coach the same players. that got the last coach fired. You're just like, wow. And if you think about it that way, it sounds really kind of scary. But what you also learn in those situations is that those young ladies, for me, they just wanted what you talked about. They just needed to be fed some confidence. They just needed to be fed something new, just a different style. And that's no knock on the last coach. It's just coaching can get very stagnant. It happens to me all the time. I was like, I got to freshen stuff up. And and they just were ready for a change. Now, they, they were ready for the change. I don't think they were prepared for the change because early on, it was a bit of a, a shock. Just like, you're asking us to do what? We don't do that. I was like, there's a reason you don't do that. And there's a reason we're not winning. So we need to start doing that. (laughs) But it was a fun year to coach because we weren't very talented from a basketball standpoint, but they bought in eventually and saw the reaping, just playing hard and playing for one another and having someone just say, hey, that's okay. Let's go do this. And it was crazy because our leading scorer that year was a young lady who barely played the year before, like barely ever got off the bench. And I, for, for her, I saw something different in her than the previous coach. And then I saw something different in all of them that, that the previous coach saw. And then we just instilled so much confidence. And it was some, to a degree, Paul, honestly, it was like a false confidence. And nobody could tell them that, that they only won like five or seven games a year before. We walked into the gym, we think we're going to win every single game. So it was a lot of mental recovery, I guess, and just give it a lot of belief that they can do what it was. And we weren't successful every single time, but it was just, it was fun to be able to see the belief, you know, and 
we were picked dead last. And I think we ended up being like the four or five seed that year out of like 12 teams. And it was just, it was fun to be able to see that and be thankful for that experience. It sounds like you did a lot of work that year with mental skills, just by showing up and being yourself. But have you found, I mean, many athletes and many people in general have this negative soundtrack running in their head and that they doubt themselves. Is there anything in particular you found that works in changing that voice, changing the message and, and, and lifting the person up? It honestly varies from player to player and honestly from coach to coach, because as a coach, we easily lose that ourselves. One of the things it's crazy that you asked, obviously a week ago, we were coming into a new year. So we went around our circle and we said, like, what is it that you're going to leave in 2020 and that you're going to make sure to bring with you in 2021? And most of the girls said, I'm going to leave self-doubt. I'm leaving self-doubt. I got to stop doubting myself in 2020. And it's crazy because I said, I, I tell them all the time, you got to have a positive self-talk. Some of y'all talk crazier to yourselves than you would your teammates. Some of the things you say in your head to yourself, you would never say out loud to anyone else. So why are you feeding yourself negative self-talk? Like, literally have a conversation. Let somebody think you're crazy. I tell them, let somebody think you're crazy and just, hey, you can do this. You, hey, we hit that shot all the time. You're like, we're literally going to talk ourselves into the task. But the other thing I shared with my team, because we always have to make sure as coaches that we're sharing the same information we're asking for, you know, our team. And the one thing I said that I was bringing into 2021 was self-care. Because as a coach, we have these spells where we're exhausted. Last year was one of the toughest years I've ever had as a coach. I just didn't have the connection that I need to have with my, with my team. We had some, some young ladies who snuck back in and were damaging the root of our program. It, it was an enjoyable year. So I almost say it took a pandemic for me to simmer back down, get back to being who I am as a coach and practice self-care. Because as a coach, if we don't have that self-care, same with our athletes, we can't perform. And it's extremely exhausting. So it's about self-care and self-talk and talking yourself into it and feeding yourself that positive dog and that positive energy at all times. Because if you don't have that, as long as our seasons are, you can very much get burned out and forget your why and why you're coaching or playing. Jackie, if it's not too personal, what are some of the things you've done to improve your self-care mm -hmm. so that you're more effective and efficient in your role? I stopped taking losses home. So early on in my career, if we lost, it lingered for like two, three days. I would, my husband's like, okay, it, it's over. And I'm like, no, it's not over. And I would just dwell on it for so long. A bad practice, I'm going home and I'm dwelling on it and I'm taking it home with me, which leads to my mind racing, which leads to lack of sleep not eating well, just not stepping away. I just had trouble all the time stepping away where that's where my kids are phenomenal boosters. Like I think having kids is a completely, it's a game changer because my oldest London, she is a sports fanatic. And then my younger daughter, Lathan, she could care less. She plays sports, but she can just care less. So it was always cool going home and they did not care the result. My oldest one, she's not telling me about it. She's like, mom, you didn't do this right. The girls are not working hard, blah, blah, again, a nine-year-old. And my second one is my younger one. Mommy, you look pretty and the girls tried as hard as they can and you, I'm your biggest fan and this is great. And so hearing that 
my kids were a huge part of self-care, detaching, going to be mommy, going to be a wife, going into a quiet room and just sitting there and having a glass of wine, like just taking time to reset, listening to music, listening to gospel, reading the Bible, reading books, leadership books. There's just so many things, but just literally taking the time out to reset and not be a basketball coach is is my huge reset button. I think it's a skill that you need to be successful in life. I think learning to let go and switch mm-hmm. on in other areas, but it's so difficult to do. So thank you for sharing those, uh, those few tips. Sure. Could I ask you about practice actually? Cause you just mentioned a bad practice could, could leave you in a funk for some time. And you're actually quite known for your detailed approach to practice planning. <laughs> could you share yeah. with us, could you share with us your philosophy on practice and why it's so important to you? Yeah. So again, it is, it is a constant work early on in my coaching career. We practice long. We practice forever. We're not going to quit until we get it. We're going to do every drill. We're going to run. We're going to do this. And they were three hours, three and a half hour practices. They were the longest practices ever. Where now we've, we're at least two hours and then we got to quit. We're going to go hard. We're going to, if we don't get it, we're going to come back tomorrow. We're going to try it again. And we're going to put set goals into practice and you're going to achieve goals and everything's going to be competitive. And I took some of the nonsense out. It's kind of like if you go to a coaching clinic, self-admittedly, I did this early in my career. I went to so many coaching clinics and I heard so many great speakers. I heard from football coaches, American football coaches, and I heard from soccer coaches and, oh, I'm going to write that down. I write that down and I write down every drill. And then when I go over to practice, I do all of them. And I was like, that's not who we are, you know? So our practices have come to be exactly who we are at all times. And it has taken away some of the noise and taken away some of the stuff that's great for another program, but it's not great for us. We've simplified. I never understood this. My, my coach used to say, kiss, kiss, Jackie, kiss. And I'm like, kiss is keep it simple, stupid. Simplicity is the key. So we make practice a lot simpler. We make we want to make it simple for us, but make it look very complex to someone else. So we are repetition, constant repetition, constant muscle memory, constant mental, small details, strong passes. It looks like the most mundane task, but it was like Kobe Bryant who said, you're the greatest player in the world. Why are you practicing all that simple stuff? Why are you practicing footwork? Why are you practicing passing? He says, I'm practicing those things because it makes me the greatest player in the world. So that's kind of what we we go with. We practice the very simple things so we can be great at them so that we can be a great team. And that's what our small details and our, it's now condensed. It's a more efficient practice. It's shorter. I, I kind of joke with our team. It's the non-sexy practice. It's not a whole bunch of bells and whistles. It's very boring, but efficient. <laughs> can, I, can I pick up that theme actually? Because I've got this great quote from you and I'd like to read it to you actually if I could. Sure. And this is it. It says, one of the things that's being lost by high school kids, I think now, is just studying the game and understanding the game of basketball and really understanding the game and what it takes to be successful. I'd like to ask you, if you were putting together a coaching syllabus, if you were the ones presenting at that coaching clinic on what it takes to be successful, what would you put in there? Oh, that's a great question. It's funny, we had individual player meetings yesterday and I I said this exactly to one of my kids. It just burns me that you are a women's basketball player, college women's basketball player that does not watch college women's basketball. I mean, that's, that's it. A, a great gosh, study. How can you prepare for an interview? How can you prepare for a class? How can you prepare for 
life and you're constantly walking in blind all the time. Just preparation is key. Like that's, that's everything. I, I tell them, what if I walk into a game and I'm going to tell you how to win the game, but I haven't watched any film. <laughs> I don't know anything about the opponent. If I walked into an interview, I'm going to interview at firm and say it's not my alma mater, but I haven't researched anything at firm. Like, how am I prepared? How am I ready to thrive? How, uh, I think that's the biggest thing. Like that, that is the key to success is preparation. Because you, you, if you're prepared, then it lessens the fear because you know what's coming ahead of you. A lot of time, fear resides in what's unknown. But if you're prepared, then a lot less is unknown. You know, so it's that's the, the the biggest thing is how do you watch a game you want to be better at and you haven't prepared for it? Like you haven't studied it. You haven't seen how other people are successful. It's the same thing with coaching. How do you go be a great coach and you haven't studied great leaders? Because coaching is leadership, as you said. It's one of my favorite leaders. I, I have like a coaching crush on him is Nick Saban. For Alabama football and, and it's I've never met him I just love his standards I love what he stands for in his program I love how he carries his program and it's constant success at all times you know so it's that's the biggest thing is just preparation and just I think that leads to everything else preparation is obviously definitely important I can hear it in your answer and it comes through in, in the way that you talk about the game and practice there's also this concept of resilience and I wanted to talk to you about it because you moved around a lot as a kid, obviously, with your father being in the military. You had three big, big older brothers, obviously, mm-hmm. playing basketball with them. I'm sure they were, I'm sure they were gentle with you, Jackie. Uh, no, yeah, you- <laughs> absolutely. Not. <laughs> so when it comes, I mean, you hear so much about this concept of resilience and trying to develop it in the next generation that are coming through. How do you deal with the concept in your program and how do you help build this resilience in your athletes? It's hard. It, it really is because especially, and it's harder during a pandemic. I'll tell you that because right now there's not a light at the end of the tunnel. So we're telling you, be resilient, stay the course, stay the course. We're going to get there. And they're like, where is there? And when is there going to get here? So the resiliency, it's, it, it's also tough because it's so tied to mental toughness. And that is the one aspect that is becoming harder and harder to coach because Again, going back to what we talked about, there's this negative self-talk and there's all these influencers. If you think about the generation of of players that are coming through the playing ranks right now, they have so much more access to people who can influence them in so many ways through social media, through internet, through there's so many people that can get a hold of them. And they allow their opinions to matter more than the people whose opinions truly matter. So the resiliency is they got to find a way to block out the noise, focus on the goal, focus on the process, and just develop a mental toughness. The mental toughness part is the most challenging thing that you can do to maintain resiliency because, again, you have so many factors that can come into it that are damaging and can quickly, you build all this mental toughness, and in one second, one game, one instance, it can all be snapped. And so just maintaining that resiliency is just a constant reminder and different exercises of what mental toughness looks like, of the process. You have to recognize that's what we've been talking about all this season. We are celebrating January 6th, 2021 in the good practice. You have to have small like goals and small victories because that's what keeps you going. If you have one huge victory at the end of the process, but they don't see, they experience any success over time, 
then they're going to quit. It's just like working out, right? So we all want to be able to go work out and immediately drop 15 pounds. Well, you can't. So that's why a lot of people quit because they don't see the results of it. Well, now you got to put some small goals in there. Like, okay, I'm going to work out in this first two weeks. I want to drop two pounds and I'm going to eat differently and this type of thing. So as long as you give yourself small little, you know, measurements of success, then that, that keeps you resilient. I think when you take away those small victories, then you lose resiliency and, and, and people just want to quit. Constant encouragement, constant. So Jackie, I'd like to just switch gears a little bit if I could. And I know there's been a lot happening in America today. And I, I we were talking about that before, but I'd like to just talk about May, 2020. You published a very emotional letter about the situation in America at the time. And your team responded in a quite amazing way, they, cre- they created a lovely video for you and you can see it. It's on the web and I've watched it and it was, <laughs> I mean, I've never had anyone in my, uh, my teams and I'm, I don't coach sport, but I, I work in business. I've never had anyone produce anything like that. It must've been very gratifying as a leader to, and a coach to see them respond like that. And so I wanted to ask you, what is the legacy that you hope to leave as a coach? No, that's an amazing question because going back, I thought of this with your question about confidence and how it doesn't seem that I lack confidence, but up until May, I would have never published something like that. I would, I, I feel like I kept my emotions inside. I didn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. I didn't want anyone to be, feel offended, but it was all the, the craziness that happened with Ahmaud Arbery and obviously, you know, and then James Blake and just everything, George Floyd, where I just felt like I can no longer be silent about my truth. I couldn't let my truth, no matter how uncomfortable it made someone else feel, I couldn't muzzle my truth because it made somebody else feel uncomfortable. And I also was seeing how it was affecting our student athletes, our players, not only on my team, but across the university and across the country. And so the legacy that I want to live is just carry out your truth, carry out who you are. The really cool thing about when I published that is a lot of people that were close to me had really no idea the burdens that I felt like I carried. A lot of people didn't understand. I had so many amazing talks with people all, all over the place about, I didn't know you felt like that. I, I'm so sorry. Like it was it just generated such genuine relationships and people really know who I am. So the legacy that I want to leave is that at the end of the day, I tell my girls all the time, I can care less how many games I win by the time I end my coaching career. That's not going to be on my, my tombstone. It's not going to have my record, but just knowing that you can do things the right way. You can be a mom that works. You can be a black female that's successful. You can be a female that beats the odds. You can do whatever it is that people say that you can't do. I love proving doubters wrong. I love it. I want people to know that at all times you can prove people wrong. You can carry yourself. One of the things I just posted is I'm going to wear heels where I used to not wear heels because other people would be like, oh, but you're already tall. So you wear those heels, you're going to be taller than your husband. And so I would be like, oh, I can't do that. I'm going to wear heels because they look good now. And I want you to own up to wearing heels because you look good. I want you to do something because it makes you feel good. And it's going to make this better. And it's going to make this situation better. I do things for my players because it's going to make them successful and it's going to make them feel better. And I want to prepare them for their life after basketball. We use basketball as a tool for them to get their education paid for. But at the end of the day, what I want to leave is young women going out into 
society into the job force and be amazing moms, be amazing ambassadors, leaders. That's what I want for our players. That's what I want for my daughters. And that's why I want to show them every chance I can get. Jackie, it's been fantastic talking to you today. It's been a real pleasure. I hope we've brightened up your day just a little bit. I feel good. With all that's going on, this has been phenomenal. I look forward to watching on from my little office here in Prague and seeing you prove the doubt is wrong for many, many years to come. I I am excited. And if there's anything I can do, I can't wait to listen to the other podcast and just listen to all the great things that you guys are doing. So I'm so grateful and I'm glad that we could finally get this together. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Jim here. You've been listening to our discussion with Coach Jackie Carson. Jackie is a coach with such wonderful energy. She's inspiring and not afraid to take a leadership position on issues related to life off the court. Such an outstanding role model who I'm sure will one day be representing her country as a coach. The key highlights of the discussion for me were that winning is a byproduct of the standards and values within the team, and the greatest leaders base everything in their program on maintaining these. How 90% of being a head coach is impacting lives and helping people solve problems. That you should train so it looks simple for the team, but very complex to someone else and the impact of social media, which gives athletes access to people whose opinions matter less than those who truly do matter. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Coming up next on the Great Coaches podcast, we'll be speaking to Damien McGrath. I think the biggest disappointment of my coaching career is that it's now coming towards its end and I'm just starting to get to grips with how much I don't know and it's always a voyage of exploration. So. I think for any coach, you you never get to that point where you think you know everything and there's always something around the corner, a great article that piques your interest, something you see that just sparks some thought in your mind that wants you to take you in a different direction. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.